But if you want to know what I'm going to preach about this morning, we're just one generation away. That's the name of the message. And what I want to, I want to go right into the message. It's not a long message, but I believe it's a very timely message. How many of you are parents here this morning? Any parents in here? How many of you, you're my parents, but you can't wait to be parents? Come on. Come on. Man. Man. Okay. Are there, Megan? All right. We can, well, we got to consecrate everything before that happens. But anyway, how about, how many of you are not parents, but you know, how many, well, let me just, how many of you got kids and you'd like to trade for new ones maybe? No, no, put them down, put them down, put them down. I had a few of my children like that once in a while. Kids are going, daddy. Anyway, but you know what? I want to ask you this question. How would you define success in raising the next generation? If you took five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, what would we call success if you just fast forward? Culture says it like this. Culture says success is raising well-rounded, well-educated, and happy kids. Raise your hand if you agree. It's not a trick question. Okay? All right. Good. This morning on the way here, I was trying to play on my iPod, and I, have, I still have the one with the little ring thing on it that just ages me, and, and the battery was out, and I was kind of bummed out, and the radio was on, and this is what it said on the radio. It said, 24% of every American right now, the new statistic of atheists in America is 24%. They said that only 6% of people, this was on the secular radio station, Fox News, I don't listen to it all the time, it, just, it was just on. It said 6% of people have a biblical foundation. Only 6%. Think about that. It just kind of says, says where we are as a society and where we're going. And then it says that 90%, this is a cool thing, but 90% still go to some kind of church. Isn't that crazy? And that, you know, that we, we can do all these things. But I believe this. For many of us, I believe that in our culture, how many you know that things have rapidly changed in the last five years? I mean, in our culture, things that we used to not talk about, things that are exposed, things that are, you know, it's kind of like, it's almost like culture's trying to push itself on us and telling us what we should believe, how we should, how we should live, how we should raise our children, how we should educate our children. So what I want to do is I want to go back to the Bible in Judges chapter 2, and I want to read you a story, and I want to talk to you about three things that I think we need to do as, as, as believers, as people, that if we want to raise godly children, if we want to raise a generation that makes a difference. How many of you know it's good to hear about maybe things we can do to help our children be successful? Okay, three of you. The rest of you just listen, all right? After Joshua, I'm going to read chapter 2, Judges, verse uh, 6 through. After Joshua sent the people away, each of the tribes left to take possession of the land allotted to them. In other words, they'd come to the prompt, they'd left Egypt. Egypt represented just barely enough. They went to the, well, it wasn't enough. And they went to the, the, the wilderness where it was barely enough. And then they went to the promised land where there's more than enough. And so what's happening, they're getting their, they're, they're actually getting allotted what has been promised to them by God. And, and the Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the leaders who outlived him. Those who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for them. Now, if you think about all the great things God had done for them, they, they had seen frogs coming out of the Nile. They had seen, you know, just different, different acts. Of, you know, they saw the, 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 Red, the Red Sea open up. I mean, they walked through. They, they, they just saw incredible things. They saw water come out of a rock. And, you know, I mean, they, had, they saw Moses' trick stick, you know, everything. They, man, watch that man with the trick stick, you know what I mean? And so they saw all these things, and Joshua, the son of Nun, the, the servant of the Lord, died at 110. How many you know that's a pretty good age to die at, all right? And they buried him in the land had been allotted in Timoth, uh, uh, Sarah, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaz, 
After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty acts he had done for Israel. If you have your Bibles, if you still have a Bible with pages or electronic, I'll just kind of highlight. Most, the most important thing we can do as adults is impart spiritual life to the next generation. You see, if they have more things than we had but don't know Jesus, in the end, it doesn't really matter. Just because you got more stuff doesn't mean, mean, how many know if you get stuff, it doesn't make you happy? How many thought if I get this stuff, if I get this girlfriend or I get this, I'll be happy? And then you got everything you thought was going to make you happy and you became miserable. You know, and isn't it amazing that, you know, it's like you do your best to try to change. And you know what? And, and you try to do your best and you realize I can't do it without God anyway. And see, what happens is how many of you remember, let me just, how many of you remember these things right here? It's kind of like Wheaties on some generations. This is called a cassette. This, this is what we used to have before CDs, before iTunes, iPods, MP players. If you had a friend that had a cassette and you wanted to have another, uh, listen to the song or have the song they had, you had to get a dual cassette. Remember the dual cassettes? And what you had to do is you had to record the blank one to the one that had the music, and then you would get that song and you go, I got it. Uh, and, and you would hit play and record, and at the same time, and some, sometimes your friends had a copy of a copy. Remember that? Yes. And in the copy of the copy of a copy. But here's the bottom line. Here's the problem. Copy and a copy. Too many times. Every generation of duplication loses a little quality. By the time you had numerous copies, there's just a hiss. <laughs> And see, don't you see the same thing happening in the gospel and the Bible in, in our nation today? It's just like a hiss. It's a copy of a copy of a copy. And I'm afraid for our generation. I really am. I remember my grandmother and them, they would talk about the mark of the beast and all these other things. And I, it would just scare, I'm just, it scared the H-E double hockey sticks out of you. You know, I'm not going to get the mark. You know, if I had an ink mark, I'd go... You know, that's going to be the mark and all that. But how many, you know, it's, I believe this. It, what happens is when we duplicate generation after generation, we begin to lose our clarity and we begin to lose our authority and we begin to lose our power. See, Ronald Reagan, if you voted for him or not, if you believe him, he just said a great statement. He said, I'm just using a statement. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. You see, the truth is never more than one generation from extinction. The church is never more than one generation from extinction. The values and the morals are never more than one generation from extinction. You look at sexuality in the youth culture today and things that used to be done in the dark are done openly. I mean, when I was a kid, I'm just going to say it. If, if, you were, if you had a problem with pornography, you had to search for it. Nowadays, it's right at your hand. I mean, you hear things. I mean, kids questioning who they are, how they were created. I mean, they're confused about their makeup. Come on. How many, you know, you see it on the news. I'm in the right church. We're going to talk real here this morning. And what happens is we look at that and we go, where have we come from? What, what are people thinking? You know? And, and it's like, and see, the values and morals are never more than generation away. See, one generation accepts the truth. The, the next generation assumes the truth. 
The next generation confuses the truth. Are you with me? And the next generation, generation eventually loses the truth. And so this morning in Joshua chapter 2, verse 10, it says, And that generation died, and another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done in Israel. See, the Bible doesn't say they didn't know about the Lord. It's not the problem of awareness. We look at all the problems in this area. Come on, think about our area. It's not that people in our area don't know about Jesus. I believe we still have enough fear of God. You can go to a bar here and cuss Jesus out and someone will hit you. Are you hearing me? You know, we have enough fear. But then when you look at what our area, we didn't plant, you know, I, I look at this area and I think about what, what all the things we experience. You know, we didn't plant a campus in Eunice. We didn't plant a campus in Crowley. We didn't build this facility and working on another facility for the children just to say we have buildings and we have campuses. We want people to experience the real living God. Amen? Yeah. And see, it's not that this generation doesn't know about him. It's just they don't know him. And see, what do we do about the problem? How do we restore that in people's hearts? How do we store righteousness? How do we restore people beginning making right decisions? God hadn't called this church to condemn the world, but he's called us to change the world. Are you hearing me? You see, here's what we need to remember. Truth without grace is mean. And grace without truth is meaningless. See, truth and grace together is like a good medicine. Remember when your mom, when you were sick and your mom was going, okay, you're going to take this stuff and it burns down your throat. And you kind of go, come on, you know what I'm talking about? But in the end, you could breathe at night. You're going, and that's what truth and grace mixed together is like. See, and what I want to do this morning, I want to talk to you about three challenges I want to give you. And if you're an adult in here, this is for you. And all the teenagers, you can listen because I believe it's, it really applies to you as well. Many of you complain about this generation that doesn't know the God, that doesn't know God. Whose fault is that? Come on, let's, let's, come on, it's a little confession time. Whose fault if the generation doesn't know God? Come on, whose fault? We need to own that. Say, I own it. You see, whose fault? Who's going to rise up and show them if not you and me? You see, many of you say, I tell my kids to believe in God, but they just don't believe, Pastor Bubba. Can I give you a secret? People don't do what, what you say. They do what they see. You see, how many of you know, know him? If you, don't show, if you know him, you don't show him. It's not going to make a difference. See, we, we are called to reflect him, to represent him. To represent, to preach him, to live by him. You know, it's, it's not just with our lips. There's a lot of people that give a lot of lip service. I remember a guy, his name was Mr. Alfred J. Mouton, a big real estate guy. He used to pick us up every morning, and we'd be in his uh, Ford Econo van. And he had a cross that if you, I mean, he could kill any vampire with his cross he had around his neck. <laughs> and he would sing all these songs and stuff, and he had experience with God. And, and, but he was mean to his kids. I mean, it was just like, I was like, man, you need to swallow that cross and let that cross get in your heart, man. Because, I mean, he was mean to his kids. He would say things. He would treat his wife. And I thought, there's something just not, doesn't mix here. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And see, we're called to reflect him. How many of you know that, that if God is a provider, that our kids need to see him, that we trust 
Our kids need to see that we trust him in our finances. If you know he's a forgiver and you have a grudge around your house and you and your wife aren't talking, how many of you know your kids might ex- not, not experience what forgiveness is really all about? How can I, how, how many of you know if you're loving and you see bitterness and ne- negativity around your house, how many of your kids might reflect that where they go out society? Am I in the right church? How many of you know our God is faithful? And if you never see, if you never see your parents step out or see the generation and trust him, how can they ever step out and trust him for their own lives? You see, how, they know, how will they know God is worthy to give our lives? And we trust him and we only show up to church every six weeks. You got real quiet on that one. You see, do you know why our kids and our student ministries is so important? Let me give you an example. You know that 85% of all kids below 18 come to know Jesus before, they, after eight, before 18 years old. They make a commitment. So if you're a good fisherman, you're going to fish where there are more fish. Amen. And that's why at OSC, we learn to fish and trying to get kids to bite in children's church to try to get them the bite in youth and, and, and our youth ministries. That's the greatest harvest. OSC kids and OSC student leaders are passionate about showing them who Jesus really is. Amen? Because that's where it's at. I love, you know, when people come and visit our church, and we have many visitors come, and our success is when the kids come out and they go, I'm coming back. Come on. And you know what? You know who the greatest people are right now? Are the people they won't see because they're loving our kids in the back. And we ought to give them a hand this morning. And some of them are here this morning because they ministered in the first service. You know, I believe this is that the second thing is we need a, This generation doesn't need rules to live by, but a calling to live for. Jesus never lowered the standard when he invited people to follow him. But isn't it amazing how we're trying to lower the standard in our society, even in church? Have we changed? I believe this. The methods may change the way we reach people, but the message should never change. Are you hearing me? What worked in 1945 might not work in 2017. Okay? But the message that penetrates the hearts of people will always break through every lie, every cloud, and every deception. Are you hearing me? That is the power of the good news. And see, I believe this. Jesus never lowered his... He said, if you want to know me, he said, he said, pick up your cross. He said, die to yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. In other words, he said, you want to be one of mine? Take up your cross. Follow me. You typically get what you ask for, and with this generation, we've lowered the standard. It's our problem. It's not their problem. And see, let's just tell them to be good little boys and be good little girls. And everything will be good. Instead of looking at them and saying, you know what? You can be a great man of God and a great woman of God. If you look to God, God will help you in everything you face. And then I love, I love, to, see, I love to see young boys and girls that come from single mothers. And when they're coming here, men loving on those kids and speaking life into them. Speaking to, I saw, I saw Denny loving on a boy this morning. Come on, you ain't getting away from me. I mean, big Denny, he made me mess with you, you know. <laughs> loving on a young man this morning because he needs it. Amen? Amen? I mean, I'm the pastor. Sometimes kids just look at me and they go, 
And I go, Luke was with me, and a little girl this morning, she, I go, come here. I just hug her. You know why? Because kids are looking for authority. Kids are looking for people that represents authority in their life. And, and the sad thing is the authority that we have today is not based on biblical principles and, and God. And so it's pointing in every other direction rather than toward God. And as a church, listen, we're the most powerful force on the universe. It's called the church of Jesus Christ. If we point kids and people in the right direction, God can do amazing things in their life. Amen? You just look around the room and you look at everyone here and I think, you know what? God did something amazing because you're here. Maybe you heard a word. Maybe God did something. God spoke to you. God touched your body. Or God, you were going through something. But many of us came to God through our pain. Amen? Amen. And through our pain, we begin to search and go, God, if you're real, whatever it takes, I don't care. I'm not looking for religion. I'm looking for the real thing. Come on. It's kind of like classic Coke. When they were trying to give the fake, everybody goes, we want the real thing. I don't want to just tell them, hey, be good, be godly. Let's not settle for, don't have sex. What does that mean when you're 12? But instead, encourage them, hey, you know what? Why don't you honor God with your heart and with your body? Let's just encourage them. What does that look like? I've learned this. I've had, Tracy and I have had the sex talk with all of our children by the time they were in fifth grade. One was earlier. Okay, and it was all boy. And I remember the first time. Can I just be honest with you? The first time when Zach, he's my oldest son. And I remember we're, we're having the talk and I'm trying to explain it. And all of a sudden, it's like the revelation hits him. He goes, oh. He goes, oh. And he started laughing. And he goes, that's sick. I said, one day you'll be sick. <laughs> In the right way. I remember he turned red and everything. Tracy and I were laughing and, you know, it was just a trip. Now, some of the other ones were a little different. Really? Because, can I say, if we don't tell them, if we don't show them, if we don't explain, who will? Are you waiting for the world for them to learn? Come on. If you want to wait for the world, we'll see what happens. See, listen, don't settle for that. We may be the only generation away from losing the truth. Only one generation. We could be one generation away. But we also are one generation away from changing the world. Come on. Psalms, I love what David said. Now that I'm old and gray, do not abandon me, O Lord. Let me proclaim your power to this generation. Your mighty miracles to do all who come after me. You know what? I'm getting older. I turned 58 two weeks ago. Come on. I was in England. By the way, I did sing, I said, y'all did sing happy birthday to me. I, thank y'all, because I was, I, at the church I preached at, they sang happy birthday in England to me too, so I got double blessed. So it was great. But here's the thing, I'm 58, I'm starting to get gray hairs in places and stuff, believe it or not. I don't use Grisham. People ask, do you use Grisham? No, no. Running, trying to chase my wife keeps me young, but anyway. <laughs> let me proclaim let me just say this. He said, let me proclaim your power to this generation, your mighty miracles to all who come after me. What he's saying is that, you know what? It doesn't matter how old I get. It doesn't matter if, I, if, if people think that I'm out of step with the next generation. My greatest, my greatest responsibility is looking at the next generation and going, there's greatness on you. 
There's greatness on you. You go live it out. You go be that. You do what God told you to do. Amen? And you know what, you know what the young, our generation are looking for? They're looking for people to tell them that. They're looking for people to show them a way. They're looking for people that will be an example. Am I in the right church? Yes. See, you and I have a responsibility, uh, responsibility to fulfill. We will be a church who builds the next generation. Amen? You know, the thing I think about is that I was talking to Matthew Murray, and, and I don't know if you know this, but in, in Kenya, we support an orphanage. Our church does. And, and we do a dignity project for little girls all over Sri Lanka, Pakistan, Kenya, fixing to be in Swaziland. And, uh, and what that means is uh, the dignity project is little girls that are in Africa and some cultures, they, they, in their culture, they, they just don't say no to men. If a man wants to take advantage... They will take advantage of them. So when they have their time of that month, they give them a pack and explain, you know, that you have dignity. You can say no. And we're and the results that you're seeing. And the little kids in the orphanage that, that God, and Matt told me, he said this year, he said, Pastor Bubba, since we have been part, since OS, our Savior's church, Jennings, Crowley, and Eunice have been supporting us, y'all's church has given us over $36,000 in two and a half years to help Dignity Project and help the orphanage. That's, a, that's, that's an impact. I'm proud of y'all. Come on. I'm proud of you having a burden and a desire to reach a next generation. But how about in America? You know, we're building that. I think about it. We've seeded, God. We've seeded. And God, we're building the children's building because that's going to be a state-of-art children's building when we're done. And our kids are going to meet Jesus. And, and it's not just about a, a, a building. It's about kids getting their lives touched and on fire for Jesus. Come on. I love it when kids are on fire. My grandson, one day Zach was with him, my oldest grandson, Eli, and he goes, all right, today, Eli, you're going to be a pastor with me today. This is my grandson. And he's like, <laughs> and he's holding his daddy's Bible. He's doing all these different things. And at the end, he goes, I think that's what I want to be. You know? And it's like, for me, I'm like, he don't know yet anything. They hadn't called him at 2 o'clock at night. Here you go, you know what I mean, all those things. But in his heart, are you hearing me? Yeah, does that bless me? Yes. Does, it, does that mean if he's not a pastor, that he's not successful? No. You know what my desire is for all my children? That they, they would be violently filled with the Holy Spirit and love God with all their heart, no matter what they do and what God called them to be. Amen? Amen. And for every one of you, I think you want that for your children. And see... The third and the final thing is, is the next generation needs ordinary people willing to do extraordinary things. What does that look like? Turn with me to Numbers, and it's Numbers chapter 16, verse 46 to 50. And I want to explain a little bit before I read it. What happened, there was a guy named Korah who rebelled against Moses' authority and Aaron's authority. And what happened is God, God had judged them, and he was fixing to wipe out the whole whole lot of them. He was like, this, at the moment he said, Moses, I'm going to start over with you. Forget these. And what happened, the ground had opened up and burped and swallowed 14,700 people. How many of you know that's a lot of people? That's the, that is like God opening up and swallowing Crowley. Okay? That's what it'd be like. And so here it is, we're in this, and, and Moses and Aaron are there, and they see what's happening. God's fixing to bring judgment and here it is. And Moses said to Aaron, take your censer and put a fire on it from far off the altar and lay incense on it and carry it quickly to the congregation. 
and make atonement for them, for wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. So Aaron took it, as Moses said, and ran into the midst of the assembly. And behold, the plague had already begun among the people. And he put on the incense, he put on the incense and made atonement for the people. And he stood between the dead and the living. You need to underline that. And the plague was stopped. Now those who died in the plague were 14,700 besides those who died in the affair of Korah. And Aaron returned to Moses at the entrance of the tent meeting when the plague had stopped. So this is what happened. The ground had opened up, killed Korah and all these other guys, and they still, think about it, they were still hard in their heart after judgment. How many of you have ever walked in pride? How many of you had something stupid happen to you and you want to do it again and you, and you think you're going to bypass it, but you know it's fixing to happen to you again? Here are these people, here are these people that were walking in pride how many of pride would make you do stupid things? How many of pride would keep you from really seeing God who he really is? How many of pride will help you hang out with stupid people that are walking pride themselves? And so what happens, here they are, and what happens is Moses sees what's happening, and he tells Aaron, go get the fire off the altar. Go get the fire. Fire always represents this in the Bible, purification. Fire takes out... If you're going to purify gold or silver or gems, you have to put fire to it. And it's brilliant, and it gets rid of all the impurities. And for every one of us, that means we need to be hanging around the flame of God. Come on. Sometimes we just need to flame the fire of God in our lives because sometimes we need it. It's kind of like this. Even in your marriage, if you don't stoke the coals in your marriage sometimes, how many of you know it can get lonely in your marriage and it can get boring? Come on. And sometimes you got to stoke the coals to make things happen in your marriage. Come on. I'm trying to help some of you people out. Your wife gave me a note to tell you this. <laughs> and what has to happen, even in our relationship with God, sometimes we can get cold. We can get indifferent. We can, we can become proud. We can become arrogant. And God's saying, hey, it's time to fan the flame. And he tells Aaron, get the flame of God. And the altar always represents in the Bible as a place that you come and die. It's not your opinion. It's not what you think. It's not your way. It's not, it's not your way. It's God's way. And sometimes God just, you know what? You know what real revival is? When God gets sick and tired of being misrepresented and he decides to show up himself. And we try to quote revival, and we have all these things in revival. You can't advertise revival. You can't, you can't put it on a sign and go revival, because when God shows up, he's going to show up. Amen? Amen? And I believe this. Revival happens in people's hearts when they realize, hey, I'm far from God, and I need something to change inside of me. And you know what? And God can touch me. He can do anything. And then if he touches you, and you come out of your religion, or you come out of your ways, and all of a sudden you go, I'm going to serve God because he deserves all my life. Amen? That's, where we, that's the beginning of revival. Revival starts with you and me. In fact, on this stage, when we wrote notes and everything, right here at this circle, I have a circle written. And I said, Lord, let revival start right here. So when any time, whoever stands right here will have a touch of God on their life. You see, I believe this. Ordinary people doing extraordinary things. You may say, well, what? I'm just one person. I may ask you a question. Can one person change something? Can just one person bring change? Come on. 
Can one person? I could go around this room from right over here all the way over here and ask you, hey, is there one person that's made a difference in your life? Is there one person that maybe influenced you while you're here at church? Every time, every Sunday after I come and I'm greeting people, talking to people, and I go, how did you find out? Well, I had so-and-so told me about the church. Or, so it was usually one person or a family. or It's one. Come on. How many you know one person can make a difference in a person's life? And see, what happens is, I believe this. You, you know, we, we've seen so many people in our area die of drug overdose, suicide, serial murders. We've seen so many things that happen in our, right here. We don't have to go to New York. You don't have to go to Chicago. We've had people just, just things happen right here. And here, you know, I believe this. Leadership drips from the top to the bottom. And that, that's a, I have a responsibility of being a pastor. The Bible describes even my name, my real name, Howard. That's my real name. Y'all been wanting to know. It means gatekeeper. Now, I'm a gatekeeper. Then I'm supposed to pray over the city and be concerned with what comes into this city, what spirit, what, 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 what atmosphere we allow here in our city. Are you hearing me? And as a gatekeeper, as a pastor, I believe that as pastors, as business, as parents, as business leaders, God is calling us to step up and to lead in our culture right here. Thank you for all the amens. But he's called you. He's called me. See, Romans says this. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is wholly acceptable unto God. And then it goes on to verse 2. It says, be, don't be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Amen. What does that mean? That therefore means something. That means therefore means it's there for something. God created you for something. Something has happened before. You see, something has to happen to you before you can do any of these things. Amen? Something needs to click inside of you. Something needs to go, man, there's some God you call me. Let, let me just say this. If you were a cat, y'all you know how I feel about cats. <laughs> if you're a cat, you can't chase two mice at one time. You got to make a decision. Right? I'm just giving you a little, little wisdom here. You got to chase. There's one thing you got to chase after. And sometimes we get distracted. Come on. How many of you have distracted personalities? I have notes, so I keep on the map. You see, your commitment has to be stronger than your emotions. Because emotions go up and down and all around. Kind of like Boston, more than a feeling. More than a feeling. <laughs> I'm looking for that feeling. Emotions. You see, some people, sometimes people rise up that really believe that they're willing to make a difference and they can make a difference. And that you've got to make a commitment, willing to sacrifice everything. The question is, can one person make a difference? You know, I was in England and I was at a conference, spoke at the conference and had other speakers and there's a guy there named Bill Wilson he has the largest church in the world for kids. Every Sunday in Brooklyn, he picks up 50,000 kids in buses. They do sidewalk Sundays. In the Philippines, they, they have 200,000 kids. And a lot of the kids live in graveyards. 
They're all over there. In, in Kenya, he has, they had 90,000 the weekend I was there. And he told the story, and when I was done, I, when I, I'm going to tell the story he said, because let me just say this. If, if you can't feel what I'm fixing to tell you, your filler's broken. He said they had a lady that was in their Korean church for the kids, and she, she came, she says, the Lord had spoke to her to go to, the, to Brooklyn to minister to the kids in Brooklyn. But the problem is she didn't know English. So they brought her to Bill Wilson. He goes, through an interpreter, he says, you want to work with these kids? Learn English. So she learned two lines. She learned, Jesus loves you, and I love you too. That's what she learned. So every day, they'd pick up kids in the buses, and kids would get on the bus, and she'd whisper in their ear, Tita, I love you. I love you too. And they had a little boy that had not spoken. They never saw him speak, but he was always faithful to show up for Sidewalk Sunday. So they'd, they'd pick him up, and she, he was just this little, little uh, Puerto Rican boy. And she'd pick him. Every day, they'd pick him up, and he'd come sit on her lap. And she'd whisper in his ear, Chica, I love you. I love you too. And when they'd drop him off, she'd say the same thing. About three months into this, the bus driver, you know, if it's in Brooklyn, they, got, they can have attitudes, okay? He goes, I'm tired of that Filipino woman. She's always like whispering to the little boy's ear. What's up with her? We need to get her off my bus. Bill Wilson looked at, well, is she hurting him? No. Is she doing something wrong with him? No. Well, he stayed, she stays on the bus. Okay. So this goes on for six months. And then one day, they're about to drop this little boy off, and they never heard him speak. And then he comes, and he gets the, little, the Filipino lady's face, and he puts his hands on her cheek. And it goes, Jesus loves you. I love you too. Get off the bus. That night at 6.30, his mother was in a rage and killed him put him in a glad trash bag, dropped him down the garbage chute into a container. But you know, that night when that mother did that, that little boy saw the face of Jesus because there was a lady that was willing to be someone different and tell that little boy that Jesus loved him and she loved him too. Can one person make a difference? Absolutely. And you never know what we can do to make a difference in children's lives and teenagers' lives and other people's lives. But us just being able to look at them and go, you know what? Jesus loves you, and I love you too. And God's got a desire. God's got a plan. God's got a purpose for your life. Someone give the Lord a hand clap because he's worthy. You know what that lady did and what we got to be willing? She had to be willing to stand between the living and the dead. 
And every day that you and I, we make a difference. Will we stand before the living and the dead? Will we go to work where people are like being like dead fish floating downstream? Will we be swim against the current and be like a live fish? So you know what? Jesus loves you. You can call me radical. You can call me whatever. But I don't care. Jesus loves you. And see, let me just say something. Are y'all with me? I see tears. It's all right. You got fillers. Because you know what? You care about people. And you know what people want more than anything? And I'm going to close. They want to know that you have compassion for them and that you'll listen to them. That's what they want. That's what they want. You know, kids, they'll tell you stories. They just want you to listen to them. Sometimes it don't make sense. You know, he do that and me do this. That's good you do that. But you know the most important thing? And you know why people are here this morning? You know why you're here? Because you want compassion. You find yourself in a place. And you need, see, you're here because someone came. That one person maybe invited you, loved you, encouraged you to show up. Whatever it was. And see, all of us want compassion. Amen? All of us want to be listened to, don't we? Even if it's a long session. You know, my wife goes, I just need you to listen to me. I go, oh, Jesus. I need the Holy Ghost and the power of God. And but sometimes you just need to because people want to be listened to. Come on. And God, listen to me. God loves you enough that he'll send the one and he'll listen to you and he'll have compassion on you. Amen? Amen. We, we're one generation away, guys. It's our responsibility. Amen? Amen? It's our responsibility to love the next generation. Because listen, you know why churches fold? Because they don't build for the next generation. That's right. They don't build. They don't build. You know, when I, when I was in England, I was driving, we were driving on our way to do the radio interview that I was doing. And all of a sudden, I'm going by a church, and it was like, it's a fine-looking church, and it was a gym. I'm like, a gym? I mean, they should be working out in the spirit over there, not muscles. But it's what happens. I could take you here in Jennings. There are churches that used to be there that aren't there anymore. Why? Because they didn't build generationally. Are you hearing me? you got to build revelationally, relationally, and generationally. And if you don't build that way, you'll be nothing. Amen? Amen? Amen. And listen, if you have children, remember this. You're, you are mom and dad. You're the greatest example that they have in the home. Because what you do in the home will reflect what happens outside the home. Amen?